Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It is November the 20th, late today. It's two o'clock in the afternoon, Berkeley time. And I think God must watch my podcast because there's a there's a, a strong streak of sunlight across uh, my image, which uh, I'm out of control. I can't eliminate that. So I apologize for any technical malfunctions. One of the themes in this show for regular viewers and listeners um, has been uh, a search for America. What is America? It's an old story, actually, ever since America was settled or invented or whatever other word you wanted to describe to, 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 to you, to, to describe the, the foundations of America, people have always wondered what it is. We've had some really interesting shows on what America is. We had Kerry uh, Arsenault, Milltown, wonderful book. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke's A Cry from the Far Middle. We had one great book on Ohio, uh, Barnstorming Ohio, Defining Ohio as America. And we had a book of photographs called American Dreams, which tried to get at America through photographs and dreams. Uh, today... Uh, appropriately enough, we're combining photographs and writing and dreams um, in a book, a wonderful new book called The National Road by Tom uh, Zollner. Uh, and for viewers of this show, uh, audio people are going to miss out. That's why you should all be watching. Viewers of this show are not only going to have the opportunity to hear Tom describe his book, but we'll be using some of the photographs he uses. They're not actually in the book, but he lent them to me or gave them to me for this show. Uh, Tom, uh, welcome. Uh, let, me, uh, let me begin with a quote from your book. Uh, you write, and you're a, a scholar of, of religion and philosophy, I think, as well as America. You said, St. Augustine speculated that God was a circle where the center was nowhere and the circumference was everywhere. He might as well have been describing the internet, or perhaps, Tom, he was describing America. Is that fair? I mean, we, uh, I, uh, I joke about uh, St. Augustine, but uh, whether that's the St. Augustine in Florida or the St. Augustine uh, from the Christian canon, uh, how hard is it to, to write about America? How hard do you find writing about America? One of the most difficult subjects ever. We all have our own definitions of what it means. We can't agree on an origin story. Um, the quest to define a kind of American identity has been a national pastime uh, since the days of Alexis de Tocqueville. So uh, this is one more in an entry to try to grab the fog of this enormously difficult question. I'm, I'm curious, uh, at the beginning of the book, you, you get into the, the language or the, 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 the philosophical language of the French, the French thinker Lacan, 
Uh, is America like the Lacanian or the Lacanian real? Something that doesn't really exist? It's something we're always grasping for. I sure. look at this photograph of, uh, it's your photograph. There seems to be an ice cream cone in the middle of the countryside. I'm assuming uh, there's some graphical games going on. That's a, uh, that, that's a drive-in stand outside the town of Rickardsville, Iowa. Uh, I was there to report a story for the book. Uh, they have tremendously good pork tenderloin sandwiches. And beyond the ice cream cone, you can see views that rival that of uh, Provence. So to the question about the Lacanian real, to quote Maggie Thatcher, there is no society. There are only individuals. I don't believe that. And just to interrupt, uh, 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 Tom, uh, Maggie Thatcher is, is, is our Lacan. <laughs> I'll tell you a totally irrelevant story, Andrew, which you uh, might appreciate. Uh, w one time I was up in the north of England and I asked a guy in a pub, uh, what happened to all the uh, the coal mines around here? And he said, what do you think? Maggie shot them all. And it wasn't clear to me whether he said shut or shot. And then I realized, well, it probably doesn't matter. You know, it was the same uh, sort of uh, executing gesture nonetheless. Well, Tom, for your next book, you need to come to uh, Northern England. But uh, for the moment, let's focus on America. Uh, it's... I don't know if you would admit it, but uh, it's a very philosophical idea, America, or your approach to America is deeply philosophical. You, you write, one common trope when describing America is to emphasize motion. America is the first country to be based on an idea. I'm not sure whether delicious chicken, shrimp, or Coca-Cola are ideas, but what do you mean by America emphasizing motion, and why is it the first country to be based on an idea? On the second question, uh, there's actually a corollary to that, which I think gets to the heart of this book, which is that, yes, you know, that's commonly said by uh, world historians. It's, it's a bit reductive. You know, I think we could argue that the Roman Empire was based on an idea, or that divine right monarchies are based on an idea, certainly. But, you know, the abstract enlightenment idea of equality, which was, of course, incredibly imperfectly executed, is joined with America as a physical entity, that this is the land, that this is our, uh, even more than the idea, our lowest common denominator, that we share the same piece of real estate mashed between the oceans and between Canada and Mexico. It happens to be, in my view, some of the loveliest real estate on the globe, and you know, we contest over what idea uh, is going to govern that landscape. We see it uh, this very week, Andrew, in uh, our, our president's uh, desire to usurp a democratic election. This is a severe test of that idea. I have to admit, Tom, one of the reasons I like your book is because you didn't bore me with stuff about Trump. So let's No, God, no. No. Um, the one thing you're obsessed with, Tom, you're not obsessed with Trump, or maybe you are, but you don't put it into the book. You are obsessed with geography, the concept of geography, the idea of geography. Um, and, and it's a wonderful quote from the book. And again, one of your tremendous photographs side by side. Here is our common, our lowest common denom denominator. We all stand on the same land. If you want to know Americans, look at where they live first. Look at the land. Geography is our bounty. It has also become our curse. Uh, as you say, this is a book about geography, but in a peculiar way, you're a nostalgist for geography. Is that fair? I think that is fair. And I appreciate that you picked up that uh, this is not a book about Donald Trump. In fact, I'd like to 
uh, point out that his name appears exactly once in this narrative, and it's only uh, and that's uh, once too many, I think. Well, let me tell you, it was the name of uh, his hotel in Las Vegas that gets a peripheral mention, and that's it, because Donald Trump, for as toxic a figure he's been, has been ultimately irrelevant uh, to this story, which is, as you point out rightly, a story about geography. And he, yes, it is a blessing. But uh, undeniably a curse, and we see that in the uh, results of the 2020 election. If you want to uh, get it down to the county level, 477 counties voted for Joe Biden. 2,900 counties voted for Donald Trump, and you know that's the famous, quite misleading map that his supporters love to throw around that shows you know a couple of blueberries bobbing in a sea of cherry Kool-Aid, you know the the red <coughs> midsections of the country with the blue clinging to the coast. Uh, that's highly misleading though. Uh, and not just because of the population distribution, it's also where the money is. Um, those 477 counties that went for Biden, um, the, the economy there is primarily founded on financial services and information. Um, the sea of red counties, Andrew, you look at those economies and it's agriculture, manufacturing and mining. Important sectors to be sure. Uh, however, one that is tethered inexorably to geography. Yeah, to, the, uh, the, the, the geography stuff is, is, is wonderful in the book. You argue that the, um, the American concept of geography has undergone a powerful shift. Places less important than it has ever been to those who can free themselves from, yet more important to those who aren't able to leave it. And that's a division, isn't it, in to, uh, Tom, in America today between those who have the liberty to leave geography, the people on the coasts, you down in uh, Malibu, wherever you are, me up in Berkeley, everyone on the East Coast, and the people stuck in the center who are tied to geography, your notion of what America is. And yet you may not consider them real Americans. We're the real Americans. Well, I can tell you that uh, gross simplification comes along with trying to describe America. You know, I'm convinced that trying to do this is like pouring Lake Michigan into a shot glass. You know, it just can't be done. And so I want to preamble that to say that I'm about to be extremely reductive and talk about our urban rural divide, which is a favorite observation of pundits. You know, I'd argue and, you know, hopefully this book is part of the pile of evidence for this, that this is really not necessarily about coast, you know, versus the center but really about those who can move and those who can't. To be fixed in place is to be fixed to a kind of economy that is rooted to the industries that keep those 2,900 uh, Trump counties solvent. And you also write quite persuasively about cities um, and the way in which America has been reduced to city versus countryside. You said, you write, the new zones of exclusion have shut out Americans from their own country. Winner cities have become havens of inequality and nearly impossible to navigate for those drawing old school paychecks from retail jobs or public schools. You point out, I think, in the book that, you know, a few streets in San Francisco, when you put the real estate prices together, are worth counties in middle America. Mm -hmm. Why are cities so representative of this geographical crisis, this 
existential geographical crisis in America? They have become um, like cattle shoots, you know, separating those who are able to move, who do have that uh, liquidity, that social liquidity, to be untethered from uh, geography. And so they choose to live in those places. And, you know, I try not to be overly, as you said earlier, nostalgic, you know, thinking that there was some sort of golden era in this country when there never, of course, was. There's always been um, this type of inequality. But, you know, there was a time when uh, there was more fluidity between city and country. And, you know, when I chose to move to New York City at the age of 26, it seemed to me to be both a radical move but also a patriotic move, Andrew, you know, a sense that uh, New York City is inexorably tied to Kansas and should be, and that there should be a dialogue and a familiarity with both places. Although uh, I'm quoting you here, um, uh, your, your section on New York was great. You said to live in New York City was to forever give up on the idea that you could have detailed knowledge of so vast a geography so uh your your stay in, in new york as you as you suggest in the book was at least a literary f failure you didn't write your novel although you met some nice young ladies it was a failure on many levels but andrew i will never forget it you know it, it's it's uh, almost like uh, i'm looking into chapman's homer for the first time you know standing uh silent on a peak in darien the, the way that uh, the city is so overwhelming. The court's porcupine, as uh, Kurt Vonnegut memorably put it, you know, there is uh, more color, more variety, uh, more languages, uh, more sheer life there than anyone can swallow. And, you know, to, to, to stand uh, on a high place in Manhattan, which there are many to do, you know, it is like, you know, looking over uh, the, the the built environment of the entire United States, and so you know, I think it helpful for the for for uh, Americans to uh, think of uh, the robust dialogue between city and country, and not to be uh, afraid of it or let it become a dividing point. Well, there is, if there is a, a love affair in the book, Tom, it's not with young women, and it's not with New York; it's with the land. You've fallen in love with uh, America as a place as a geography. Um, and one of the things that was amazing about the book is that you've become a, a, a you are a climber um, and, and you spend part of the book climbing to the highest point in each state. And you have this great quote, you said, and, and this is America too, a country of destruction and reinvention where the sky sits on the table next to the blueprint. We think we own the land, but the land survives while we and our sand structures do not. So the land's always going to be here, and that's where the love of the book is. It's in the, the American landscape, in American natural geography. Is that fair? That is fair. And to climb the highest points in all 50 states is, you know, is my cockeyed ambition here. I'm up to 44, parenthetically. Um, it, it is to uh, experience that sense of concentration. You know, the, the entire state wrapped up imaginatively into a single ball, as uh, Andrew Marvel in his poem put it. You know, um, I, we talked earlier about the impossibility of defining the country. Maybe to go to a high point, you know, is a way to get a small taste of what that might be like, to have the entire essence sort of summed up.
Tom, one of the things that struck me about your book was its loneliness. You're always alone. I mean, there were a couple of references to um, to ex-girlfriends or the, the, the final chapter was on your relationship with your dead grandmother. But there's a very, there's, there's a, a deeply, I think a sad, sad singularity about the book. And perhaps that reflects on America itself, a country where everyone is alone. You note that um, in COVID, that's been exaggerated. You write, uh, uh, when isolation descended across the country in the COVID-19 pandemic, approximately 28% of American households had only one member. Personal geographies shrank even further. The nation had been sent to its room. But I think one of the things, and I'm an outsider, I, I wasn't born here. Um, one of the things that strikes a lot of people who come to America is the solitariness of life here. Is that something that you think describes your book and perhaps your life? Yeah, without question, I think loneliness is endemic to um, the human condition and perhaps exacerbated uh, in certain sections of the United States that we are uh, drawn apart by um, our physical geography, our detached ranch houses, our interstates, our lack of social cohesion, as the uh, sociologist Robert Putnam has uh, eloquently put it in his book, Bowling Alone. And by the way, just a name drop here, Putnam will be appearing on our show in early December to talk about his new book. So. Wonderful. It's a good book, by the way, Upswing. I recommend it. Uh, so, so going back to this, this solitariness, Tom, you show up in these towns, you have a background as a journalist, although you're very sad about the death of American small town newspapers, which you rightly blame on the, on the internet. Everywhere you go, you're alone. Why? The reporter's journey is a solitary journey, don't you think? I mean, it's... I'm not a reporter. Well, the idea of going in and trying to suss out some sort of version of reality it's always um, leaving. You you um, you you leave. You're always on the road. Reminds me of a of a line. I can't remember the line from uh, Blood on the Tracks about uh, Tangled Up in Blue about always being on the road, always leaving. And is that the nature, perhaps, of your life as a reporter, as a writer, and as an American? I haven't thought of it that way before, but there may be some truth to that because as a journalist, you know, you 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 write, you blitz in with a frenzy to try and understand the story. And then you document the story, um, always never as well as you'd like to, always only getting a corner of the reality. And then you move on, you know, there's another story to cover. Um, there's a, 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 what do you call it? A rush uh, to get to the next thing. And so, yes, that that is a inherently uh, lonely uh, endeavor, I'd say. And always in search for, that geography, that August, Augustinian notion of something that doesn't really exist, God, America, language. Language, though, does work sometimes. I, I want to point to a wonderful, uh, wonderful photo you took of Mary Wink Motel, for those people watching, uh, not uh, listening rather than watching. Great picture from Tom. Mary Wink Motel. I don't know where it is, Tom, but it, it says, sorry, no vacancy. I know that Lacan wrote, or you quote Lacan saying, all of language then is a set of stairs winding in a circle. But that's not always true. Language can be useful. Um, this idea of there not 
being a vacancy in America seems again to be very sad given the anti-immigrant sentiment, particularly on the right, but also on the left in America. What's happened to America as a land of immigrants? Well, the Republican Party has taken a turn towards the nativist and towards the isolationist. It goes against other notions of America, but you know, to bring it back to uh, Lacan, you know, this is uh, this is a way of linguistically uh, creating a sense of fear or supercharging a sense of fear uh, about the other, to use a particularly Lacanian phrase. And you know, this is this is a web of language uh, designed to um, you know create a, a nexus of power. Tom, I couldn't work out whether or not it, by the end of the book you'd made your peace with America. Again, it's a story of an on and off love affair. You end with, with an interesting quote. You say, more than a flag, a tribe, an ethnicity, a legal agreement, a cluster of art or a production of culture, America is a civilization of awareness. Our shared geography between the oceans is the lowest common denominator within this clashing territory of strangers, the strangers, of course, all being lonely. Did you end the book on a high note? Did you, uh, did, did you feel more optimistic about America at the end of the book, um, having done so much traveling and writing about the country from coast to coast? I remain an optimist, if only out of uh, habit or temperament. However, um, there's lots to be depressed about. The final essay in the book, as you note, is about watching the destruction of my grandmother's house, which is a particularly relentless story of uh, real estate, which, you know, really Phoenix nothing. on the outskirts of Phoenix, which is about as close to the heart of America as you could get, symbolically at least. Uh, certainly in terms of the rapaciousness of the way that we uh, reuse and gobble up land, you know, uh, like it's, uh, there's always going to be more of it which there is not. But uh, to, to the heart of your question, uh, Andrew, yes, I do, despite everything, uh, remain an optimist about the American idea and uh, the American people, although we have been put under severe strain lately. Tom, you, uh, you have this great photo you sent me uh, from Riverside, Iowa. Iowa has a special place in, in the book, too. You, you, uh, you're particularly uh, interested in Iowa. You you have this photo of the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk, March 22, 22-28. Where is America going to be in 22-28? Hopefully still here. I mean, the land will obviously be here. Will the founding ideals of this country still be in play? You know, in, in probably not in their current form. But, you know, will the, will the sense of uh, equality, which we've stumbled towards, you know, will the sense of rule by law uh, and not by monarch, you know, will, will, will that endure? I have uh, faith that it will. And by the way, that Riverside photograph, that was a line of dialogue in the Paramount TV series Star Trek of uh, between, I believe, 1968 to uh, 1972. And uh, James T. Kirk just says offhandedly that he was born in Iowa. Well, some folks in this uh, town of Riverside decided, well, he was born here and we're going to put this stone thing up behind a hair salon and uh, maybe people will come off the interstate and, you know, come for a look and maybe stay for lunch. And that's exactly what I did. So they were right. Well, Tom, you 
came off the internet, stayed for lunch. You've spent a lot of your life traveling around America. It's a really a wonderful book of thoughts, of geography, of philosophy. Above all else, though, I think it is a book about your on and off love affair with America. People really need to read it. The National Road, Dispatches from a Changing America, distinguished by the fact that it only mentions Donald Trump once and, and then not as Donald Trump. Uh, finally, Tom, you're also um, the a book reviewer at the Los Angeles. We're actually the LA Review of Books. Right. Which is the, um, so that's not the Los Angeles Times, the LA Review of Books. Uh, you review politics books. In addition to your book, I know you're, you're down in LA at the moment in these strange times where solitary Americans are even more solitary than normal through law. Um, what else should people be reading in these strange times? I'm going to recommend a 1947 book by uh, a journalist named John Gunther. It's called Inside USA. It was uh, a bit of an inspiration for this book, actually. What Gunther did was he attempted, as we've been talking about, to sum up the United States. And so he traveled to all 50 states, having written uh, letters to uh, all the governors, uh, all the sort of people in the web of power uh, that he could find, as well as, of course, ordinary folks that he would buttonhole. And his observations, uh, even though they were written immediately after World War II, uh, hold up remarkably uh, in terms of what characterizes the various regions of the country. And so I remain fascinated with this book, Inside USA by John Gunther. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.